0: Hi, I'm Dr. Eric Westman, and this is the Keto Made Simple podcast. And so, it's my great pleasure to have Dr. Tro, also known as Dr. Tro Kalajian. <laughs> and and so, I'm I mean, gonna have to you, correct me with the uh, the language. And you're you're living in Tapan. Japan.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm uh, I actually live in a small little town in uh, just between, like just north of New York City uh it's called Palisades, but my office oh. is in japan yeah okay
0: well I, I looked up the the pronunciation of it it looks like tapan or T- T- but I yeah
1: yeah yeah actually it's an it's a native American name, so yeah yeah, yeah. it's a Pansy, uh which was the name of the bridge whether it's a panzi bridge or
0: Tapanzi. right okay right you know well, so 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 why don't we go way back so i did a little little homework i, I went to your site and and the the company learned a little back you guys have these great bio videos which is awesome all the staff has their story there and and i could not believe your story tro i mean that that's not you on that video from the past i just you know so so you know, let us uh, I, I i don't know if my membership folks know who you are uh, but assume we know nothing and and I it just couldn't have been you on that. You just changed your your physical look has changed so much. And uh so how about start from, you know, I was born and raised.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean like Eric, how far back? Do you wanna go? Um you know, I I came from a family where everybody was obese. My mom uh, ended up having bariatric surgery as type 2 diabetes, struggled with weight her whole life. My father also struggled with weight. Um, my older brother and my younger brother both, uh, you know, uh, have, have oscillated anywhere from 300 to 500 pounds. Uh, and I was uh, following sort of in that footsteps.
0: And did you grow up there in in that area of New York?
1: Yeah, yeah. I grew up outside of New York City. Uh you know, parents, uh just, you know, they they were first generation Armenian immigrants and they came to this country, you know, live the American dream, work two jobs. They're both accountants now, you know, that's successful. But you know, they 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 went to college at night when we were kids and Growing up, we had a mix of, you know, ethnic cuisine and we also had, uh, you know, pita bread, rice, et cetera, you know, the, the sort of Middle Eastern cuisine. And then, you know, we grew up with, uh, you know, cereal and, and Pop-Tarts and, you know, whole grain toast and, you know, uh, so we grew up in the mar and then we went to school and got fed school lunch. So I was a product of this you know, standard American diet. And, you know, the product of, you know, immigrant parents who are working and trying to, you know, maintain some, you know, some of their ethnic cuisine. But really when you're busy working that much, you know, you just can't, you know, you can't keep that up, right? So uh, I was a, I was a product of the standard American diet. I was a product of processed food companies. And at the age of 13, you know, I was 200 pounds, which is what I weigh now. And I remember going to my family medicine doctor at the time, uh, for my annual physicals is my birthday. And he looks at me and I was 205 pounds. And he says, you know, you're, you're five feet tall, you're 205 pounds. You're going to be just like your, your family. Like, you know, um, you know, if you don't, if you don't change things, you know, and I remember sitting in that office for two hours to wait to see him on a hot, you know, July, uh, morning and i remember thinking to myself this fucking jerk just told me you know after making me sit 2 hours with a tv in a chair to go lose some weight like where is the freaking exercise bike bro like you're going to tell me to lose weight i remember thinking this at 13 and that was my primordial lose uh, you know um i you know i was always like question authority and you know, I had that stint in me. I had this chip on my shoulder. So and this, uh, I was a chunky kid, you know? Because you always want to be a doctor. I, that I, was the moment. That was the moment. You know, I remember I was like, I'm going to do better than this guy. I'm going to beat uh, the genes. He said, it's probably in your genes. And I was like, I'm going to beat the gene, you know, and I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to show him, you
0: know? You know that's funny. I, I, I learned from some people what to do, right? Some mentors, and I learned from some people what not to do, <laughs> you know. So, that I that, mean, he was
1: look, he was a good doc, he was always there for our family. Dr. Adis. I, you know, I remember him, uh, you know, and and there was, I don't think he, he, I don't think he was a bad doc, you know, but he just didn't know how to deal with whatever it is he was looking at. He didn't know how to deal with, you know, the processed food environment, the modern, you know, obesogenic environment, we call it. He didn't know how to deal with. You didn't know how to deal with it,
0: other than to elicit shame and well, try to fire me to change. You know? And not much has changed in the traditional doctor's office today. I'm afraid, right? Not
1: at all. And that was that was my primordial ooze. I remember that was that was like I'm going to become a doctor. Was 13 years old was the first time I thought of becoming a doctor. 13 year old, I was like this clinic could do better. I mean, that's where I came from, and. You know, I tried to fight it. I, you know, there was a, I didn't eat for a month after that. I know I, I I have shared this before. You know, um, I didn't eat for one month after that visit with that doctor. Um, so just to give you an idea of sort of, I was a troubled kid to some degree. You know.
0: Um, well, we don't need to, don't need to know all of it. No, I mean, like, look,
1: I, I'm I'm comfortable with it now. And then what happened? You know, I I gained all that weight back. 10 pounds per year, despite loving to exercise, despite running, despite being vegan, despite counting calories. I put on 10 pounds per year, every year through medical school, through residency, all the way into being attending. I was 350 pounds. And I think that's the pictures you were talking about that I saw.
0: And so for those watching, if you want to, it's a three minute bio, including these old pictures, which really are, again, it, it doesn't look like you. Yeah, but it was and, and uh, at, go to your to DrTro.com under the staff headings and you, you'll get three minute videos of everyone's story, which I went through a moment ago. It's just what a great team. But, but so, so when, how, how did you come, how did you find the low carb or, or answers you clearly were searching and probably following what everyone was telling you to do, which we now know doesn't work for most people?
1: Yeah, so so you know, I'm I you know, I I had a chip on my shoulder, right? I mean, you know me we've worked together on some projects now. I think you have a sense of my character. And I you know, most people who follow me on social media or listen to the podcast now I have a bit of chip on my shoulder. So,
0: well, I, so to be, I wouldn't uh, that has a negative. Hmm. Connotation. I don't think that's what it is. It's you get on something you, you hold on to it till you figure it out, right? Yeah, well,
1: so so that that's how I was with medicine. I mean, with medicine, I remember, you know, I was studying medicine avidly. I was the chief president. I was in the Yale Internal Medicine Program. You know, a, Wait, yeah, uh, Yale, yeah, yeah. It's a Yale affiliate. It's a Yale affiliated. So, so oh, you mean you mean the Duke of the North, <laughs> the Duke <laughs> of the North, exactly. Yeah, it was a great Internal Medicine program. I mean, I. Add you know all the esteemed lectures uh, from Yale basically lecture room every day, and I soaked it all in. I mean I've been a lifelong learner, interested, curious, and you know eventually I was chief resident uh, there and and you know i i i loved, I loved medicine and I scored on the 90th percentile on my board exam. I mean I'd love to learn and I love to read and so but here here I am, three hundred fifty pounds. Uh, like totally blind to my own obesity and, and what drives it. And, but yet so knowledgeable in the way that we, that we train residents. I was training residents. I was training, you know, uh, other doctors and medical students. And yet it was such a blind spot. And I don't think it you know, and what I realized was not only was it a personal blind spot, but it's professionally, it was a huge blind spot. And that, that took me years to understand. I wasn't always this firebrand that like wanted to just topple it all down. You know, when I was 350 pounds, and my wife really challenged me to learn. You know, what is obesity? What did I do? I read your textbook. I read all of your papers. I read all like I read three textbooks on obesity. I went and got eventually got certified. Three thousand papers, all the studies that you and others have done, and and. You know, I'm the type that I'm going to go read what the other people say. You know, I'm going to read their citations, like we did. You know, with the pediatric paper that we're working on now. You know, uh, the the pediatric consensus statement on low carb that we're sort of uh, critiquing. But that was my thing. It's like I'm I'm going to learn medicine better so that I can train med students and residents better, inspire them to learn, show them that they're knowledge will save lives and their ignorance will kill people. And so when it came to obesity, I was like a sponge, like just soaking it all in. And when you look at the evidence, I mean, you know this, you know, all the, inter- like, what would I do if it was pneumonia? I would look at the antibiotics or, or first determine the etiology of pneumonia is a bacterial or viral. Mm-hmm. And then I'd look to see you know, if it's bacterial, which is maybe the most common, maybe not now in the COVID era, but prior to that, bacterial was the most common. You'd look at the antibiotics. What's the efficacy of the antibiotics in head-to-head studies? Which ones, what are the side effects? Like, that's how I approached obesity. I was like, show me the head-to-head studies. And I'm looking, and it's like, low carb's better, low carb's better, low carb's better. I'm like, look at the Shea study, look at the... So like, about
0: what year? Know. what year was this?
1: This was... Yeah, so about eight or nine years ago, uh,
0: okay. so that so the, the yeah. first round, first round of low carb versus low fat a yeah. studies were out, and and low carb wins, right?
1: Yeah, the New England Journal. Yeah, exactly. A to Z trial. I mean, this is all back then, and yeah. I'm like, what? Like, and then so so of course, being curious, Eric, I would have you know, I did what you did, like are these guys real that are promoting it? I'm looking at you, know, you up. I'm like, Gary, it's out. I'm reading, you know, are these guys real? And then, and then I'm like, well, I better look at the people critiquing those people. Let me go read How Not to Diet, see what Gregor's saying, see what, you know, McDougall's saying. And I, I'm just reading, reading and like, it's anthropology to me. I'm trying to figure out my own struggle and figure out this field, you know, and then you start to like Unpack layer after layer. Well, how did we get here? How did we get to recommending whole grains and multiple meals? And how did we get to including, you know, five fruits of fruit, you know, five servings of fruit when, when actually one or two is all you need really for, for the mortality benefit? After that, it's, it's not a benefit. So you, you start to look at the data and understand holy crap, how we got here is a house of cards. And the strongest data we have is supportive of low carb, and, and that was it. I was like, I just want the best antibiotic for my for my problem, and so I started with low carb. Like, I'm just looking for the 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 most likely to succeed solution to my issue, and then, you know, you peel layer after layer. Like, okay, what are the drives to eat? People eat because they're hungry. People eat because they have, you know. Sleep deprivation. People eat because they're anxious. People eat because they have emotional eating. People eat because they maybe have food addiction symptoms. So, and all of these are true for me. All of these, right? I was hungry. I was, you know, addicted to food. I, I, I eat out of anxiety. You know, I eat emotionally. We, we all do. It's human nature. But so you learn about all of these things, and like, then the story becomes so crystal clear. You know, blood sugar fluctuations modulate most of our appetite. You know, you know. Uh, sleep deprivation makes us eat as if we're hungry, right? Anxiety makes us eat as if we're hungry. And then it becomes clear, right? It's, you know, obesogenic foods, and carb-fat combinations make you eat more. Carb fluctuations make you eat more. And then, you know, you you peel away the science and it's clear. Now you know why. Now I know why I had a lifetime of struggle.
0: You know, it's very clear. But what, do you remember the first day you started?
1: Yeah, I because I remember it was like right after my 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 wife, you know, we had a we had a miscarriage in between kid two and three, and you know, we were talking and you know, she was we were having a tender moment, and uh, you know, she said, "Are you going to be alive?" And and I remember, yeah, it was wow. November. It was like it was mid mid two thousand fifteen, or you know. November two thousand fourteen to November two thousand fifteen when I was really avidly reading and then I like fully committed there wasn't a I haven't had bread since two thousand fifteen. Let's put it that way. You know, I haven't had I don't remember the last orange I ate. Let's just, you know, put it that way. You
0: know, you're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, it's interesting. Most people who quit smoking remember the day they quit smoking. It's like a, a milestone etched in their mind and this is kind of like a quit smoking it's a quit carb day that you know has a it's an impactful moment uh i i suppose you didn't you know just have immediate success and and you know there were no bumps in the road
1: welcome to fuller butts a behind the scenes plastic surgery podcast yes you heard that right Join your co-hosts, Dr. Sam Fuller and Dr. Dan Butts, board certified plastic and reconstructive surgeons on an exclusive full access pass into the world of plastic surgery. Combining their expertise and training, Drs. Fuller and Butts will share medical insights, detailed explanations, and lighthearted humor to keep you entertained and informed. We're certain you'll become passionate about the plastic surgery specialty and between debunking myths, uncovering truths, or just making you laugh out loud at their perspective on this creative and artistic field. We've got something for everyone. I mean, I look, I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, I recently lost. uh, There has been a lot of bumps. I mean, I lost 80 pounds in 2015, 2016, I lost like 60 pounds. I lost another 10 or 15 in the ensuing year. So I went from 350 to like 195 or so, you know, and, uh, but I always had a love for exercise so that, you know, that's always been a constant, you know, martial arts, running, weightlifting, always did it, always liked it. So that didn't really change much, but, you know, when my body felt good, maybe I was a little more committed to do it, than than historically, you know, maybe going from two or three days a week to maybe, I mean four to five days a week. You know, so I lost weight, kept it off, you know, and then started like a punk. I, I remember it was 2016, where I cold called Mark Cucuzella. So it was 2016, 2017. I, I called him up and I felt like maybe like you with Atkins. it was sort of the same thing because I saw. You know, I saw the change of my life and I was like, I need to make systemic change. And he was doing systemic change at at, at West Virginia. I cold <laughs> called him. I'm like, I just found his number on Doximity or something like that. And I call him up and I'm like, you know, you don't know me, but I know you and I've seen you talk. And I said, you know, tell me how you did it. Right. Tell me how you did it and tell me how we're going to get, you know, 100,000 doctors to do what you're doing. Right, which is make West Virginia le- le- you know drop sugar. Unfortunately, they reversed that since then.
0: Yeah, and uh, well that, I didn't know that part of the story, but th- I think that's important to reach out and actually find that these doctors are real. It was important to me that there was a doctor in practice, and the only one at the time was Doctor Atkins in New York City. So I visited him. That's 1998. But uh, but you didn't? Did you actually go visit? Dr. Kukuzella, or you were just convinced by phone, or learned what to do.
1: I mean, I well, I was convinced because it worked for me, and then it worked for my family, and then it worked for you know people. So I was convinced because I was like, wait a second, I'm not hungry anymore. Like, why am I not hungry, right? And so I didn't need anymore. The data supported it. The interventional yeah, data, right. you know, it worked in me. I don't need anymore, you know. But what clicked in me was. Holy shit, the amount of suffering we have. And when I saw, like, I tried to, like, I was like, is the ACLM? Like I went, I went to the, you know, Uh I went to ACP to see, is there anybody thinking about nutrition there? Nobody there thinking about nutrition. I went to, you know, I went to, uh, you know, eventually I went to the ABOM, but even there, they don't really care about nutrition. They care about drugs and drugs, you know? Well, and then the lifestyle medicine is the, is the the vegan vegan front. Yeah, uh, the Adventist front. So, mm-hmm. I, I was looking for like a tribe, really, because I'm like, okay, this has affected me, and I'm, you know, and I'm just like trying to find the tribe. And you know, eventually, I find Doug Reynolds, and you know, I reached out to Mark Kukazella I'm like, how did you do it? Tell me what you did. I'm going to do it at Yale. And then he's like, you're never going to do this. It took years, and you know, there's contracts. There's, I mean, he wasn't going to say it like that. He just said it's going to be challenging. And so then, then I started to. I wanted to be the doctor I wish I had and learn everything. Right. And then I wanted to make a clinic I wish I had. And that was, that was the time 2017, 2018. I was like, I got to change, you know, my career. I got to get out of, you know, being in hospital medicine and I got to go do this because nobody's doing it. Like nobody is, you know, I shouldn't say nobody. Certainly you were doing it. And, you know, but, but like, and I don't I mean, no. that, know, you that's, know, that's
0: a fair statement. And, and, yeah. the, uh, it was like
1: no organization, you know, like yeah. we don't have, our, we're not, we never had this organized group of yeah. actors. And I just was like, I wish I had a network to pull from. And I, and I, and at the time I was like, I, I reached out to Jason Fung. I was like, I was just grasping at straws, like, like somebody helped me get this clinic and do this thing,
0: you know? Well, so, so it's great that You didn't have to recapitulate. You didn't have to do the clinical trials, which I felt I had to do, you know, 15 years earlier. So, you know, we didn't have any data that was published. So that's fantastic that you didn't have to do those studies. You read them. You were convinced. And then- I read your textbook. That's what I did. (laughs) I love it. But now, so what I tried to do some years ago, and it was failed, was to do a company within doctor's offices. And and so we we had the method, we had the handouts, we had the the clinic idea, and we went and you know no doors opened. It was like there were a couple of doctors that wanted to do it, but then they would talked to their management, and then the doors were shut. And so we tried to scale things up. It didn't work within the system, at least you know ten years ago, and now. But you decided apparently to open your own shop, right? To do your own clinic, which is brilliant in a sense, because if you had tried to do it just within the medical system as it even exists now, you're going to get a lot of doors shut in your face, I think. So so tell me how the clinic came about.
1: Yeah. So so I, I wanted to create a network. So I remember in 2018 or 2019, I went to Doug Reynolds. I'm like, we need to make a medical organization, right? I was like, we need to make the, the medical organization I wish I had and I've been able to be a part of that, you're a part of that, we're we're all working together on that. And that's been so fantastic, the SMHP. And I, at the same time, maybe a little bit earlier, I started doing telemedicine consults, you know, 2000, this is 2017, 18. And then I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to focus on telemedicine consults. And I, the, the premise was like, look, people don't want to come to the office. People don't want to come in, like, we need to do everything remotely. You know, and this was before COVID. I mean, yeah, We had wow. remote scales, remote blood pressure cuffs, CGMs, you know. I, I'm a technology guy. I mean, you know, I did play around with ultrasounds. And, you know, so I was quick to embrace technology. Um, and and because I was like, I want to make this easy for the person. I know. They don't need to get dolled up and come in. They don't want to sit on my, you know, waiting room chair. They don't want to sit in my, you know, office. Like, let's just make, you know weight loss, very easy. And, um, you know, then that became an app and, you know, that we have health coaches now and you talked about our team. We have an amazing.
0: Okay. So, team. so there never, never was a brick and mortar place.
1: There is a, we have a brick and mortar place, it's but, 10, but, but it's are we're, where, you know, we have, you know, it's, it's mainly remote. Like we tend okay. less than 10% of our, less than 10% of our, like we, we deal with employers now in multiple States, You know, it's just completely remote medicine. Nobody's coming to see me.
0: Uh Um, But then you decided to not be in the insurance system, right?
1: Yeah. So, well, the problem is, is so like all these things that I just mentioned, they're not really reimbursable. And um, But yet- Talking and talking about food? (laughs) Yeah. No code for this. I mean, well, not just that. I mean, like- You know, these things like setting up meetings, setting like the way you're doing right now, you know, like getting people in social groups, getting people in small groups, creating a sense of community, delivering asynchronous education, videos that people can watch. None of this is is a billable event. So so it really needed to be outside of insurance. But interestingly, you know, I I didn't know if I was going to even make it. I was like, who's going to do this? Who's going to want it? And, you know. Now we have companies saying, like we have corporations saying, help help our, you know, we're building off the data that you mentioned. Like we're able to save companies money while like our 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 companies are giving our service for free to their employees. We're reversing diabetes, which is our mission. The 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 people are getting healthy, you know, the average weight loss in our employee cohort at one year was 40 pounds. Yeah. Like I'm gonna, yeah. you know. 40 pounds and so you know now we found a win-win-win a scenario that works but you know also we get the people that you know I'm sure you get all I know you get it all the time they come to see you and they want to you know um, they're looking for expertise and, and you know we do get like the direct the consumer but the idea here is this, how can we you know I've been laser focused on the practice I wish I had you know, yeah. going back to 13 with Dr. Atis, like, I want the practice I wish I had. I want to be able to text and get some answers. I want to get, you know, I don't want to come in to do something if I can just do it. If we're going to titrate medications, why we can do it in real time, you know? Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, was, I was kind of skeptical. And, I you know, um, it's funny when people come in it, or you may be watching this for the first time or, or if you're new to the low-carb keto world. Some people perceive that I'm kind of a radical early adopter, and I'm not. I mean, I, it took me eight years of clinical research to to validate and become comfortable with something that was so ra- you know it was so radical in 1998 to feed people fat that the hospital director was lobbied to clamp down on our first study and to to squelch it. You know, so. You know, everyone knew eating fat would be bad for you. And it turns out it's that's not true. But the uh, we've come such a long way, and the food being the most important thing, it's really not been appreciated internal internally inside the system. And so, uh, I, I guess I, I just want to say that what one thing you told me that really resonated is that you're limited by insurance and in what you can do and and so the uh you some I chose to be within the insurance system just so I could figure out how to do it and and to see a wide range of, of clients in in Durham cuz most people have that kind of insurance it's not a big kind of area but the ability to be, to go beyond what insurance would be paying for Doing it on your own is actually—it's—it's it's brilliant, and it—it's it, time. Time is uh, now. I think such that there are enough people and enough background. There are guidelines to support this. Um, I've noticed that your staff is growing.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, let's take a step back because I maybe I, I should be much more appreciative. I think, you know, uh, so I should really be thanking you. Uh, well, I, I, I have thanked you. I've, I've thanked you many times. So you, you know, you know well, thank you, you
0: again. Thank me. You, yeah, yeah. On low carb MD podcast, I looked it up. So Dr. Clayton three it, times. Yeah, I was on episode yeah. 130, 155, and then you interviewed Scott Parker on two twenty six. Thank you for yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, I should have led off by yeah. introducing you as the you know leader of low carb MD podcast.
1: Yeah, with Doctor Brian Lenskis. It's
0: yes, Brian. Guy, you know. Yeah, hey, I I told you you had you hadn't interviewed me, and you said yes, yes, I have, and okay, there you go. So so
1: so you know it's uh, I'm going back, and you know I'm I'm wondering, uh, you know it's like I still like, and it's funny. You talk about fighting against the grain, having to do these trials, having to fight the, you know, and I'm here trying to build off of that both professionally, you know, as an entrepreneur, I guess, but, but also like, like also manifesting what I'd wish I had more, you know, like, and in creating the SMHP has been such a, a, a value to me. You know, to be able to have an outlet. That's like it's great to like hustle. You know, and 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 for your own business and stuff like that. But it's also very rewarding to make the world one step closer to something you wish you had. And,
0: Absolutely. You know, well, well, I mean, the, I'm I'm so inspired by by you and your story that uh, I think it's going to grow. And, and if if someone's watching and they need help, they I get requests all the time. Can I? Get a, a, a keto-friendly doctor near where I live, and I, you know we have these loose website places that will kind of direct you. But you're how many states are you you in now? As every state, every every state. So,
1: so it, we have a big we have a big team. You mentioned we're growing. We we have uh, Dr. Laura Buchanan started with us about a year ago, and she's still taking patients. I I very rarely see patients. I see them with you know, either in conjunction with Dr. Laura or, yeah. uh, with, you know, we also have a PA, Mary, she, yeah. Mary, um, she's awesome. She was my first medical assistant, you know, always inspired. She, she went off to PA school. She actually came and rotated with me as a PA. We wrote a paper together on a interesting Cushing's case and now she's come back and, you know, she's been inspired by sort of metabolic health and she'll be at the SMHP conference in January. If you guys want to meet her, but uh, on on Type One. So yeah.
0: so to to just spell out. So the Society of Metabolic Health Practitioners, SMHP, is really an outgrowth of well Doug Reynolds, Pam Divine, but then also your your tour de force, Tro. And, and yeah, and yours, and happen, and and, and Rob, but and we're know, all, all we're on the board together. They're yeah. great leaders that are trying to find a home for people that don't you don't have to be a physician right so i really love it because you can be a coach you can be a dietitian you could be a a pa and you can be a member of this organization that allows for the fact that you can change metabolism by changing the food it's not it's not just a low-carb keto organization but it embraces that uh and anyway that that's kind of a a sidebar of uh Bringing other people into the fold and also raising the credibility of of what we're doing. Uh, this summer, the ketogenic textbook came out. It's the first real textbook on clinical use of keto diets for for among other things, diabetes and obesity and metabolic disease reversal. But the science in there, you know, uh, pointing toward brain health and autism and anyway that. That again raises the credibility of all this. And um so I wonder now in real time, what's the response? Are you are you getting any negative responses from from things? And I, I, I have to I, I'm predicting that you're not. You're you're gonna get the things will just kind of uh people will let you like like the the water has parted and you're gonna be walking through. Uh
1: well, you know, I'm gonna be honest. Um so it, it's every day has been a struggle. I have, you know, I, in 2018, I left a full-time job in the ill system and, and I have not taken that salary yet. Right. I am still at one third of that salary. So I've invested everything into just, just making the home. I wish I had this vision wow. and that I think you share and I share and a lot of other docs share and and I think you've really come, you know, um, adapt, you know, creating the community. It, it, you've done all the elements to it. You've done, you've done it. And, you know, I think, um, so, so, you know, we have four awesome health coaches, two personal trainers. Um, you know, we have a team of 12 now and growing, you know, my wife's also helping, you know, you'd be surprised when you deal with employers, the contracts that come. and
0: Yeah. Well, you know, heard, so if you're if you're watching this and you don't know much about low carb or, or keto, uh, this um, has come so far that to, to summarize, you've been able to use your own personal experience and then the the data that had been collected over the prior fifteen years to kind of just you know assume that it works and it's safe and start uh, practicing. And yet, uh, what I you know, the need is so great that I just. It's gotta just keep growing. I mean, so one one area where it just makes such sense is a self insured company. A self insured company is paying for any extra health care that that their employees have. So, like you're you were saying, they provide this as a service. Don't even make the pay the the employee pay for it because they know they're going to be paying less in the long run because they've fixed their diabetes. I mean, one person goes on dialysis, and it's what twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year out of pocket for the company. So, uh, you know, Verta Health, I think, right, kind of push the envelope, but it's it's such a labor intensive thing, and they have their own preconceived ideas of what the diet should be, and uh, and how would you compare what you do to the Verta program? Yes,
1: yeah, so uh, we have like every. You know, we're a lot more invested in maybe, um, dealing with the entire package. So, so we are like a concierge metabolic team. You have a health coach, you have a personal trainer, you have live meetings, multiple live meetings. We have multiple, you know, community meetings just like this, that people can attend, so it's a little bit more immersive than Verda. I think the nutrition is very similar. We probably go a lot more into cognitive behavioral therapy and motivational interviewing uh, techniques that they don't do. Uh, we, we tackle food addiction head-on uh, and binge eating head-on. Um, we deal with comorbidities like sleep apnea. You know, uh, We deal with you know, everything that an internal medicine practice would deal with that, that relates to it. Uh, we're very lab intensive also probably in a six month time you know, you'll you'll get three labs done very systematically.
0: Do you require? Do you require using an app for food entry and, and measurement of ketones and things?
1: No, no. We we if we we are CGM and ketone meter. Uh, we we support the use. We use remote monitoring. Uh, so every patient gets remote monitored body composition scale, a blood pressure cuff, a Ketone meter or CGM, you know, uh, some sometimes at different times, you know. So yeah. maybe initially CGM, later on ketone meter. Um, I so I and, and all of it is connected. So the, the patient just uses it and it, and it sends us the data. Um, we have an app that's uh, so just to get an idea, the average person is meeting uh, somebody from our team at least weekly from the day they sign up, you know, to about two to three months, they're meeting with somebody from our team weekly. And whether it's a health coach, getting onboarded, seeing a doctor, uh, um, and they have access to multiple meetings throughout the week that they can attend. They have asynchronous courses they can, you know, use up the average person in our program has about five to 600 touch points in the six month period, meaning they're interacting with our medical program in, in 600 ways, whether they're going on the app, whether they're finishing a course, meeting a health coach, texting a health coach, you know, going to get, you know, going on the scale, using the CGM, whatever it is. So, uh, it's a very immersive, it's very different. We, you know, it's, it's it's a lot, it's a lot, you know, Verda is a little more hands off in their approach. And, and we get a lot of the, they, they do great work, amazing work. And I think, you know, they, they, they can't be a concierge metabolic service. They can't be, um, you know, I don't think you can systemically manage food addiction. Right. So, yeah. So, and these are areas that I think we focus in on. And then, you know, we deal with all the comorbidities that we use in your clinic, you know, the sleep, we do sleep studies, remote home sleep studies. We do remote ambulatory blood pressure monitors. We do remote Holter monitors. I mean, you know, if somebody hasn't, you know, palpitations, or if we suspect sleep apnea, we get that sleep study. Um, we also do genetic testing, you know, uh, you know, if, if the cholesterol seems abnormal in that sort of genetic range, or if we you know suspect that there's a you know a a low insulin production due to you know certain uh, types of diabetes. I mean, so I think it's it's just we do cool that's, medicine. I mean, I don't know what to say. like,
0: that's know, great. well, yeah. it's it's much more intensive than than my approach. My I learned from Dr. Atkins, who uh, had a list of foods. It's on one sheet of paper. And then had check-ins, you know, about every week for that. But with nurses or other staff after a full H and P with lab tests and all, and and I've kind of gotten less and less strict as time goes on. But the the I, I lose uh, success with those who need that high touch sort of contact that that you have and, with your approach. I think that's fantastic. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, look honestly, if 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 they don't, like the people coming to me, like, if, you know, if, if like page four works, page yeah, four is like what, what I give to everybody. Well, and it's like, okay, yeah. well, how do you help people, you know, who just do it. Who, who need more. And I think yeah. that's, you know, David Unwin actually said it really well. He posed the question actually really well. You know, another mentor of mine is just, it's just such a beast. I think uh, an absolute, you know, force in the, in the field, you know, just like you. Um, and he said, you know, when really smart people do silly things, you know, we have to think about yeah, food addiction, you know, <laughs> yes. um, when really, really smart, successful yeah. people start doing silly things and look, I'm a self-proclaimed food addict. So.
0: Well, uh, so I would like to switch gears and then, um, for the live folks, uh, have some questions. Have built in some time for Q and A. Uh, but so, give me your latest thinking and how you talk to patients about cholesterol.
1: Yeah, I I get
0: questions I'm all the time trying of-
1: to toe the line. Yeah, yeah. So I so so I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna make it more medical, and then you know we can maybe translate it down. I'm a big believer in risk stratification. You know, just, you, you know, you, you, you try to determine how high risk somebody is. Maybe you use a CAC, maybe you look for evidence of soft plaque, maybe you, you, know, and if you don't have any of those things, frankly, I don't really care unless I think there's some genetic issue, which I, we can test for now, you know? So, you know, and I'm going to tell you less than 2% have some genetic underpinning, right? So meaning 90% of the time, I don't care. Um, I don't want to say I don't care. I don't care if somebody's health is improving, their diabetes is resolving, their metabolic syndromes resolving, their blood pressure is resolving, their weight's going down. You know, if they're now more active, if everything is improving, and all we got is a bit of cholesterol, I'm usually that's the trade-off I'm willing to accept. And in most people, their risk drops. So that so that's so coming back to what you said, which is you know what do we need to do like i've tried to build off of everything that you've done and i've you know when we work with these employers we track everything and we track you know in the first 12 or 15 employees that we we were working with now it's you know in that company it's 100 and we have another company that we're working with another one coming on board um we have a we have 100 employees and the average cardiovascular risk reduction is 44% like we just plugged in the numbers, plugged in that they remitted diabetes when they did, plugged in their blood pressure, and we calculated their AHA, ACC cardiovascular risk, meaning like we did what the guidelines say to do, okay, the the cardiovascular guidelines, and and their risk dropped from on average 9% to 5%, right? And 5% is considered low risk. So we made them low risk, On average, with LDL being neutral, maybe slightly high, slightly like a point or two higher. Meaning, we're making people healthy.
0: Yeah, and it's just a different, a different tactic or a different tool. Yeah, it's a different intervention. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I think
1: I'm probably more trigger happy than than probably than what I guess you'd be. Meaning, like, I, I everybody can get a CAC, everybody can get a carotid ultrasound, everybody can get a femoral artery ultrasound, and we can just look for plaque very easy. And if we have it, then we think just slightly differently. You know,
0: we we think more deeply. So is there a role for cholesterol lowering or statins, other medicines like that, if you do have disease? What are your thoughts there?
1: I, you know, I, I, Again, it's a risk. So, like, I I'm a numbers guy, right? Like, just so I believe in just tell me exactly what the benefit is, and what are the harms, yeah. right? So I literally calculated in front of patients. Like, let's just extrapolate this from what we know. Marianne DeMossi did a great uh, study that was published in JAM Internal Medicine last year on the relative risk reduction of of uh, statins of around twenty to thirty percent. Let's say. Okay, so if your risk is two percent, I, I, you know, over ten years, right, we're talking about like a point five percent reduction or less, yeah, right. And and that's that's a lower benefit than the incidence of diabetes that we're going to cause, right? With that, so I think, you know, most people you just present them the data, like here is the risk benefit, here is you know. What do you want to do? And you know, most people say I don't want to do it. Some people you run their risk and their risk is like twenty percent. And and or they had an MI and you know, then then, you know, maybe well, <laughs> you know, maybe <laughs> then you're using a statin, you know? And and and, and there's non statin drugs now. I mean, there's bambopoic acid, there's there's so many ways to address the problem. I mean, there's colchicine for coronary artery disease, there's a lot of approaches to the same issues. So I, I'm But I think, in terms of, you know, the problem in modern lipidology, and I know you know this, is, you know, the whole population's been insulin resistant. And so that, that, that's, that's what makes LDL atherogenic. It's not, it's not the LDL, it's the insulin resistance. Right. So, but, but lipidology doesn't view it like that. They're like, they just pretend like, it's the LDL without the insulin resistance. No. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think because they can't see that their data sets are contaminated, right? Their data sets are, are not pure data sets. These are insulin resistant data sets they're dealing with, right? And that, that's tough for them, right? They see one way. They see LDL bad. And
0: well so I have to bring up the case series that you published and um I want everyone to know that you're taking your cases and putting them into the public domain for review and all. But so in one of the series for the high, super high LDL responders, you found that by adding back some carbs, the LDL came back down. And what did you end up doing with those people? Are you still worried? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, so... So the prototypic
1: case. So this, this is interesting, right? So I, you know, just so every listener knows, I was called an embarrassment by several prominent lipidologists for publishing this, because we literally showed that you can modulate LDL more potently than the most expensive drugs. We showed that, and and like they you know, people call me dogmatic, but I'm like, I literally gave people a sweet potato. I'm like giving people carbs, like, you know, and we gave okay. them this, so just if you know, you know, if you're, if you get very lean and you, you remain on a low carb diet and you're time restricted, you know, you're going to see the LDL rise almost like clockwork. And, it, you know, Dave Feldman's theory, I think, you know, of of the lipid energy model, it's, you know it exists in the anorexia data. And I think he's just really coined it well and, and made it very palatable. And he's continues to do research on it. I mean, it's just true. And, you know, I said, you know, these people all did not, they're like, I will not take a statin. And they, they signed the paper saying, I'm not going to, I was like, look, the guidelines, say take a statin. They're like, I don't want it. I'm like, I'm not dogmatic. You, you know, I'm not a well, but,
0: but so did you end up with the, with the people who, you could lower the LDL by giving the sweet potato and other carbs. What did they end up doing? What did you end up so, recommending? Yeah. So so
1: we gave them a sweet potato, right? And these guys were all exercisers and, you know, or massive weight reduced people and, you know, or people somebody who had, you know, they're doing keto for a neurologic issue, right? So so you have to be careful, right? Because, you know, if somebody is bipolar and you know they're they're doing keto for mental health benefits or somebody has you know seizures or a neurologic issue and, and so you have to be super careful and you want to you know we like i got to be honest i don't know we don't know what happens with it like one of those patients had a 797 ldl i don't think have you ever seen a 797 ldl eric
0: you know no only in your patient pay- yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking through a uh, 450 is about The highest,
1: yes, 797. And so we gave him back carbs. And, you know, and he, and he, he, I think he subconsciously reduced saturated fat slightly, but I don't, not to any degree. I mean, he still eats beef, he still eats eggs, you know, Uh, and his LDL got to 180. So with no medication.
0: Yeah. So we have, but I'm trying to, are you, are you worried about the LDL of 750?
1: Am I worried? I think. Look, I, I'm a. I admit that I don't know. You're a practical I, guy. So, I know. So nope. yeah, yeah a, so.
0: we're all taught that that would just be outrageously bad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, so. I, I can't. So I think, you know, if you look at Mr. Fid and you look at the observational studies and you look at the genetic studies, it looks like a linear. Like if you can approach yeah. the mean, why not? right? If you can, and there's no, that's, that was the thinking of lowering their LDL. It's like, okay, you know, do you want to be the top? I mean, that patient is probably like one of the highest LDLs in the documented literature, right? Like maybe like the top five. But maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. And I told them, and I was like, I don't know, but you are at the 0.01% and do you want to be? And so we came, like we came to the, the he didn't want to be and that's why he came to me and he, but he didn't want drugs
0: well so, i i just wanted your your uh your opinion and your cuz i i don't have the answer I,
1: I i would i think my heart of hearts i think that you know it's sort of like blood sugar do you want it to be high you know probably not do you want it to be low probably not you know do you want it just, to be the so like,
0: you know, just right yeah. Yeah, not I think,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the truth, you know, it's same with like temperature. What do you want your temperature to be? I mean, you know, I don't want it to be 107. I don't want it to be 97. You know, I want it to be like somewhere. Be- I don't know the answer, but I know enough to say this is really deviated. And if we can approach the mean with a, a sweet potato, you know,
0: why not? What's the uh, harm? yeah, well, right. thank you for that. And uh, of course, and- we're all anxiously awaiting the, study that. What
1: do you think? You know, you tell me. Like, I, I, I'm I'm,
0: curious. No, no, that, no. You know. I, I'm here to, to get your <laughs> ideas because I don't know. Yeah. I, so my kind of response would be, well, let's follow it. Now, yeah. now, Will Yancey, my colleague at Duke, who's 10 years younger than me, uh, is more cautious. You know, he's one, you know, well, he would t- say have fewer saturated fats and Maybe at back and I am not sure. I mean, I, I um, am anxiously awaiting, like we all are, the study that Dave Feldman got GoFundMe Money to do with the the CT angiogram center, you know, on Earth, one of the best places. And they have a hundred people enrolled with all the coronary angiograms. So it's not the, the calcium score, it's actually looking inside the arteries. And a hundred people who said they were doing keto. Have all signed up? The scans are in. And they have a paper that apparently is under review. Uh, I, I just saw it. Uh, Dr. Budoff is going to give us some results at a meeting in December. So maybe that might be the first peak we have it. And uh, but the study itself is not just that first uh, data. It's following people then for a year, yeah, documenting what they're eating and that they're in ketosis, and then they're repeating the scan again. With these really high LDL levels, and and it will be very interesting to see, you know, if it's all you know no progression, that's going to be the best result. If they all get worse, well, we'll have a good result to know the answer. I'm afraid it's going to be messy, where you know some people will have progression, others won't. But uh, the idea that it's being studied is really important. Yeah,
1: I'm excited. Uh, yeah,
0: Dave, I- Dave went around. Dave Feldman, you know, went around as a computer programmer without the reputation and the credential to try to get the mainstream people interested. And they said, you're crazy. You know, kind of like people have said about your patients whose LDLs went up and then you brought them down. No, it's not crazy to collect new data. and, And the metabolism is so different. It's like comparing what goes on on the moon with what goes on on Earth, the the metabolism is so different it so it wouldn't surprise me if the l d l of seven fifty is actually healthier it wouldn't surprise yeah, me yeah the buy
1: is smart i you know i i don't i don't know i mean i think this is, I think yeah. this is the, what a you know the, if there's one thing I've learned is a, a good doctor should say a good doctor somebody who says i don't know often. You know, well, and I guess I'm a great dodge. Yeah. So I, like, I, I just have to say, I don't know. And, and there's mixed data, like there's just a bit, there's a bit of mixed data, right? So, you know, you, you look at all cause of mortality and it's, it's a U-shaped curve for LDL and the mean is around 140 and the standard deviations around, you know, 20 to 30. And, you know, so do you want to be five, 10 standard deviations
0: away but, from but, the mean, you know, but, but, like... But, but that's among carb eaters.
1: I know, I know, right? I know. Well, so, so, and then, but,
0: you know, so I, I just, I, I I, don't know either. So, know. but, but you're right. So, the uh, one way, since the sodium level yeah. for carb eaters and non carb eaters, we would assume is pretty close, right? Or the potassium level. But another project that Dave Feldman is, I'm barking on is the company called ownyourlabs.com where you can opt into having your data used like to get a normal range of of hemoglobin A1Cs for carnivores, for example. That'll be interesting because some people don't get the total reduction in A1C that you would expect based on their blood glucose. And some people have a little elevated glucose. Um, uh, So I guess (laughs) we talked about a lot of things I wanted to mention uh, Rosette's mix because so I met your wife, who's you know cute as a button, uh, giving me cookies at these meetings, which are delicious. Tell tell me a little bit about Rosette's mix.
1: Yeah, so you know, I, my wife, you know, uh, is an amazing person. She really inspired me. She's an attorney, and and uh, you know, she along my journey, you know, sort of being the support system, you know, and her herself having migraines and going low carb and, you know, not having migraines anymore, really. Wow. You know, she used to have, yeah, she used to have migraines like every, yeah, three, three, four times a month and, you know, has it maybe like once a, a quarter now, uh, staying low carb. So she, she never had an appetite issue or a major weight issue, you know, she's, she's this tiny little thing, as you mentioned, and, uh, but a very bright, you know, and, and so you know, she supported me throughout, um, my own sort of journey in dealing with food and appetite. And, you know, she saw that social scenarios were hard. And so she started making low carb desserts and bringing it with us. And, you know, then it became wait a second, you know, people with type one, people with celiac, people who want to, re- you know, diabetes, who want to, you know, remain low carb and maybe want, you know, instead of flour, almond flour, instead of sugar, you know, monk fruit, maybe they want like easy to make, you know, things. And so, you know, she's, you know, she's a mom entrepreneur. We have three kids and, you know, she was like, okay, well, I can, you know, everything that I've used on you, you're my, I was the guinea pig for Rosette's mixes. So she makes low carb baking mixes and she, you know, puts it into these bags and, and it's her and her sister, Natalie, and they, uh, you know, they own the company and, I have to disclose that on every single research paper I do, which sucks. But, you know, I mean, look, the reality is, is, you know, I think she's providing a service. Do I get a lot of flack for it that my wife owns a food company? I mean, I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to tell her? Don't do what you want to do. Why? Like, you know, like she's the lawyer, you know, I don't win arguments. She wins arguments. So, you know, I think uh, she's and it's been a, a huge passion for her to come up with recipes and you know, she's got a sweet tooth. She doesn't have a weight issue. She doesn't have an appetite issue. It's a migraine issue. So she can make these things and eat them. And I think for me and and some of my patients, I tell them with these things, just, just keep it as little as you need, you know, like, you know, you don't, you know, just wear, you don't use a a spare tire just because you use it when you need it and that's it, you know? And so when you're dealing with food addiction, you know, you got to be careful with sweet foods and savory foods and, you know, and I think that's what the adapt bars really are, too. It's just like a convenience thing that you can
0: use. And, you know, she's. Whereas we we stopped production yeah. of the adapt bars. Oh, you they did? Started. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Pandemic, uh, because the processing, they were made in South Africa that you couldn't get uh, flights to deliver product. So we were entirely an educational company now, Adapt Your Life Academy. And, oh my God!
1: And Got it. Okay. Yes, we
0: right. have an upcoming yeah. course. It's actually open for enrollment right now with Mike and Mary Dan Eads doing a protein course, yeah. which uh, you know let your your folks uh, know or uh, or it send it around because the wisdom they have is just unparalleled. I mean,
1: protein power was a great
0: yeah. I mean, and you don't just get protein power. I mean, you get Mike talking about the mummies in Egypt you know, having atherosclerosis because they, they made bread, you know, so you get, I'm really excited about this course. That's uh, a protein course uh, at Adapter Life Academy. Um, So, um, so a couple of questions and then I'll let you go or comments. Let's see the. Well,
1: anyway, just just to say my, my wife, my wife is just, you know, she's been a huge support for me. Um, And so now she, she makes those mixes. I mean, it's just, yeah yeah nothing more than that you know I, I if you want easy stuff in your home and you you wanna you know bring it with you to 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 like a holiday or something like that that's that's what it's for the you know the
0: bakers that's, in the world li- the website's literally rosettes mix, mix. Yeah, that, .com. yeah 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 thank you for the plug no no apostrophe but just no. rosettesmix.
1: mix you yeah they're
0: delicious um so uh, the s m h p society of metabolic health professionals um, is also for people who are not medical professionals. The I mean, people can join coaches and, and things like that. And there's but coaches are medical professionals, so they
1: actually get CPT codes now. Health coaches get CPT codes. So they well, health coaches starting in two thousand twenty four. This is brand new. They're nationally board certified, uh, you know, and and it's crazy, right? I mean, they they make everything a CPT code except keto, I guess.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So well, one last uh, comment and question. Um, uh, Pat is a school nurse in a kindergarten to grade five public elementary school in an affluent neighborhood with about 550 students. Several students are, uh, who are morbidly obese, although uh, let's say they're heavy, extremely heavy, present to me with various <laughs> complaints. Uh, I want so much to help these children to be healthier I'm told by the other nurses that I can't say anything to the parents about it. The thinking is that my concern is obvious and parents don't need to be told. But, uh, I wish someone who was writing books on this subject would write one for parents or for children. I wish this could be required education before being parents. Yeah. Uh, well, a lot of things parents need to learn. Uh, and the government that provides meals for children, the school need to get on board and correct the upside down food pyramid. Uh, I want to make a difference, but don't want to get fired by people who don't understand it. So any thoughts about school-age school, school age, children uh, or how to make a difference there, Tro?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, let me tell you what my kids eat. My kids eat, uh, my nine-year-old daughter eats uh, three or four quarter-pound hamburger patties when she goes to fast food. Uh, she eats three or four eggs in the morning. Uh, my son, very similar, my seven-year-old, uh, they have some fruit, they have some nuts, um, they have tons of, you know, cheese, um, they drink whole milk, um, this is what my kids eat, they're all normal weight, they got my genes, I have, you know, the FTO gene, I have the MC4R gene, um, so they, they have these genes, you know, and, um, so I think, you know, this is what my kids eat, am I a pediatrician? know, um, but. I think we can certainly lower the, you know, sugar and the glycemic carbs in our kids without any without blushing an eye. You know, we have a pediatric fatty liver epidemic, and the best thing you can do is call people like me and Eric to go talk to the school. Uh, yeah, we'll come out to the school. We'll talk to them. We'll tell them. You know, we'll bring in some family medicine docs like like Mark Cucuzella and and uh, Laura Buchanan and Matt Hawkins. Uh, talk about the appropriateness of lowering carbs in children. Um, I think, uh, you know, the big thing is when you're dealing with kids, you know, you have to think in a way that doesn't, uh, you know, make them feel deprived. So I think things like, you know, uh, you know, something simple, like if they're used to eating chips, getting Quest chips, I mean, you know, if they're not to say that Quest chips are healthy or that Quest pizza or Billy's pizza is healthy, but you know, kids are used to eating this stuff. And if you deviate them significantly, all of a sudden there could be a lot of deprivation. So I think, you know, when you're dealing with that younger population, just be, you know, considerate to that feeling of being deprived. And, you know, a lot of times you can elicit that shame and guilt. Go back to the story of me in Dr. Adis's office. You know, he didn't mean to cause shame and guilt in me, but he certainly brought brought that out. Uh, And maybe my own vulnerability sort of interplayed there, but um, so you don't but, want to elicit that shame and guilt because that's a trap you will not win once you get shame and guilt.
0: Um, you no, know, the we need to work on a, a five year plan of development for SMHP Society of Metabolic Health Pre- uh, Professionals. One of the things that I always thought would be a great uh investment would be to hire people to give. Uh, like a speakers bureau that doctors do, but you don't have to have doctors do it. But, you know, schools get uh, the people to come in and give um, these auditorium filled uh, sorts of um, educational events and having that be wrapped around sugar as the kind of low hanging fruit, pun intended, would be a, a kind of Smooth way of bringing in. I think sugar and too much sugar is kind of accepted now, I think, right? It would be a safe thing to to go into a school and say it should be limited. I I hope. Well, Uh,
1: well, you know, we're doing something right now, actually. Uh, You know, Eric and I literally just, you know, bounced back and forth and we're, you know, we wrote a consensus, not a consensus statement, but we wrote a sort of letter to the editor.
0: Critical letter. Yeah.
1: yeah critical letter on the AAPs, the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines for low carb diets, which, you know, said they recommended in a supervised setting, you know, but more data is needed, you know, but meanwhile, they recommend bariatric surgery and injection drugs. I mean, what long-term data is there in 13 year olds with that? So, you know, the, the thing is, is that I think, you know, if the onus is on us. It's not on you. I mean, you you can certainly do anything, right? Like you can Tell them about the SMHP. You can tell them about Eric and I and and, and but really like I think, you know, it, it that lights a fire under my butt to keep doing things like we're doing now, you know, rebel rousing with the American Academy of Pediatrics. Hopefully we'll publish that soon in the Journal of Metabolic Health. You know, we we just have to make our voice very clear and, and spread that voice. You know, one of my, just to let you know, one of my patients did a great thing. He lost a lot of weight with low carb and, you know, one of his kids had gained weight during the pandemic and he made like this, just did like a, 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 you know, green, yellow and stop list, right? And the green was, you know, any amount of meat and fish and, you know, cheese sticks and, you know, vegetables and and, uh, fruit he put in there. And then yellow was like nuts and Quest chips and, you know, protein bars and stuff like that. And red was basically anything else, which was, you know, and he just put this on a big board and his kid just following that thing, the kid lost, you know, like a considerable amount of weight. Yeah. Right? So the kid kids don't need much, you know, you yeah. could even put a sign in the lunchroom saying like, Hey, if you're interested in, in getting healthy, ask me about it. So then the kids ask you about it. You're not talking about it right you just got a little sign saying ask your lunch lady about you know eating healthy right and you may get like five kids like hey tell me what 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 does this mean you know um so
0: well yeah those are my thoughts fantastic and and uh i'm just again i'm inspired by what you're doing keep it up uh, one of the comments here was, and, and this will be durable material on on the web that doctors and other people need to know the struggle it is to start something like this. Even today, 2023, you know 20 years uh, after the research really was started and, and uh, but I think you will you'll, you will out, you will come through this and, and be happy. And of course, our day-to-day life keeps us going because people get better. Uh, uh, the anyway, I just want to say, again say thank you for your leadership. The Low Carb MD podcast has influenced so many people, and it probably laid the groundwork for for the curbsiders, uh, which is a straight internal medicine. Uh, interviewing Will Yancey recently, who was my colleague at Duke, so the the mainstream podcast now addressed low carb. And, uh, and that I, you know, that's something that never would have happened without the, again, the pioneering work that you've done. Uh, and I'm glad I was able to provide the foundation so you didn't have to recapitulate all of the studies, right? That that's, uh, and even today people are asking me, you know, well, where's the data from your clinic? And I'm like, well, I don't, It'll you know, tryouts. Uh, anyway, yeah, thank you so much, thanks for staying over a few minutes. Uh, please say hi uh, to your family for me, and hope to see you soon at another meeting. Uh, and
1: yeah, it'll be uh, well. We just talk about it January, then January in Boca. You know, we're going to be talking about type one and you know all topics, but there'll be a type one focus. So that's going to be a huge, huge uh, thing. Uh, and hopefully we'll have our consensus statement ready by then so
0: yeah, so that's the society of metabolic health practitioners meeting on the on the east coast will uh' we'll, we'll be at Boca Raton, uh usually end of January and the focus this year will be on type 1 diabetes a pre course or pre seminar series uh, um that looking forward to that in a big way so Thanks again, dot Dr. Trow, Dr. com is the best place to yeah. find you. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Social media, you know, Dr. Uh you know, you can download the app. You know, the app is free. You can just download it pretty right. soon. We're going to be giving it to, you. we have about 10 doctors. We're basically giving it away to, and and so, uh, and then another 10 slated, so. Uh, and the
0: locata the podcast.
1: The download it yeah and the, yeah there's so many things i'm just thinking about it too many
0: keep it up while, while you yeah. still have this energy no we'll
1: try try not to burn out
0: take care now talk to you soon bye-bye if you enjoyed this video be sure to like subscribe and hit the notification bell and check out adapterlifeacademy.com.